I want us to look at the life of a guy in the, in, in the Bible who I think is very significant, but we don't talk about a lot. Um, and that is the life of Elijah. There's Elijah and Elisha. Elijah, J, comes before S. That's how you'll remember it. So Elijah comes first. But here's what you might be surprised to know. In the New Testament, the most referred to Old Testament prophet is not Moses. It is Elijah. Elijah is talked about more in the New Testament than any other Old Testament prophet. Um, Elijah is talked about not just in the Gospels, but Paul refers to him in his writings, James refers to him in his writing, and even the book of Revelation refers to Elijah. So when we look at Elijah, there is a lot of New Testament stuff that ties back to this guy. So I want to take some time over the course of the next four to six weeks and look at this guy's life because I think there's a lot to learn. Now, before we get there, we have to go to Bible history, which is never fun. But if you're really going to understand it, you've got to know this and know what's happening. So if you will bear with me for a little bit, I'm going to give you a short Bible history lesson, which will lay the groundwork and the foundation for what we're going to be talking about, not just this week, but the weeks to come. So here we go. Uh, when, when Israel was a nation underneath David, then David passes away, King David. Remember King David? Um, and then a guy by the name of Solomon comes along. Remember Solomon? Then the kingdom, Israel, splits in two. All right? Now, that's important for us to understand. When it splits, Solomon has two sons, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Each one takes a kingdom. And it's important that you understand what happened when they did that. Okay? First of all, um, it, it splits, and, it think, and here, here will be a good analogy for you. Remember the Civil War, North and South? That's what happens to Israel. There's a North and a South. Okay? Um, what happens is then they split it. The South only has two tribes out of the 12 tribes of Israel. The North has 10 tribes, actually. Okay? So that's what happens in a split. Now, if you look at it, throw up that chart, will you? Okay. Nope, the other chart. Yep, that one. Okay, you can't see this. I tried to get a good one, but I couldn't find one. So here it is. This is actually what happens. So you have Jeroboam right here, and then you have all of this splitting off. And these are all, by the way, kings of Israel, or kings of, of Israel. And then you have over here kings of, uh, of Judah. So what happens is they split. And so now you have two very, very separate, distinct groups, all right? In, in the nation that we know as Israel. The southern kingdom, all this stuff right here, okay? Here's what you need to remember. The southern kingdom, Rehoboam is the guy who's in charge of it. In the southern kingdom is Jerusalem, okay? Now, Jerusalem's significant. Why? Because remember, every Jew on, on three feast days a year has to go to where? Where do they have to go? To the temple. And where is the temple? Jerusalem. So, every Jew, true Jew, has to go to Jerusalem. Whether you're in the north or your south, you've got to go to Jerusalem. So, in the south part, we have these two kingdoms, these two tribes, in that, that, that compose that whole southern part. The capital of the southern tribe is Jerusalem. 
Rehoboam's the first guy who's there. They're going to end up with a total of about 20 some odd kings in the course of their history. They're going to last about 325 years. Um, they're going to go into captivity three times and come back. So remember the stories of like Nehemiah and they come back and rebuild the walls? Happens in the southern part of the kingdom. That's, that, that, that's, that's Rehoboam. In the southern part, you have good kings and bad kings. Some of you have read your Bible. You know how you... And a good king died, and then a bad king came in, and a good king came in, and a bad king. Good king, bad king, bad, 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 good, bad. You know how it all jumps around like that? That's in the southern part of the kingdom. When it's all said and done out of 20, they have 8 good ones, 12 bad ones. Okay? That's what happens in the south. In the north, Jeroboam's the guy. That kingdom only lasts 210 years. In that kingdom, there is no good king. They are all bad, all 19 of them. There is no, they start out bad, and they continue to be bad. So in the northern kingdom, now here's what happens. Jeroboam is up there in the north, and he sees his people three times a year going where? Going south for the winter. No, um, going south, going south to worship at Jerusalem. And he starts to realize, you know what, if they keep going south, what are they going to do? They're going to start to want to be where? In the south. So what do they do? He says, you know what, let's do this. Let's make, let's make worship easier. So what Jeroboam does is Jeroboam sets up two worship centers in the northern kingdom. One, in, um, one up in Dan, which is the northern part of it, and one in Bethel, which is the southern part of it. And he basically says, look, guys, you Jews don't need to go to Jerusalem anymore. If you're up northern part of the kingdom, you just zip on right up on, on up there to Dan. And if you're in the southern part of it, you just go to Bethel. Don't mess with the whole Jerusalem thing. And then he decides that they need to see, because again, in Jerusalem, what do you have? You have this massive temple. They need to see something. So he puts up, actually, calves, golden calves, in the worship centers at Dan and Bethel. And it only gets worse from there. Okay? So, you got the picture now? So the Israel that we're going to be talking about this morning is split. When you read the Bible and you read about this prophet and that prophet, the prophets are, are either dealing with the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom. In some situations, a southern prophet goes north or a north, northern prophet goes south. In some situations, the prophet is trying to rally his group. When we talk about Elijah, Elijah is ministering in the northern kingdom where it's been nothing but bad kings. When Elijah comes into play, the king who is in charge at the time is a god by the name of Ahab. He is the fourth longest king in Israel, in, in, in the history there of that side of it. Um, he's going to reign about 20, 20 years, 22 years, somewhere in there. And he's going to be the, the fourth longest king in that time. Again, the, the northern kingdom ends up going into captivity really quick, 210 years, and they never come back. It's like, boom, God's done. Okay? The southern kingdom, about 325 years, going to captivity a couple of times to learn and before they're finally going to captivity and uh, after 325 years for good. So that's the story. So when you read the prophets, a prophet is usually trying to convince the people to come back to God. He's either in the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom. So you have to understand that when we're talking about this story. When we talk about Elijah this morning... Elijah and Elisha both work in the northern kingdom. They have had nothing but bad kings. Okay? 
We all done with our little history lesson? Everybody got it? Okay. So let's talk about the people. Uh, you can get rid of that. You can't read it anyway. Um, <coughs> here are the people that are involved in this story. One of the guys that we're going to run into first is a guy by the name of Ahab. Ahab is the king. He is the president. He is the grand poobah of the whole area. Um, he's going to reign 22 years. That's the fourth longest of any reigning king in the northern kingdom. Um, on a couple of occasions, God uses him to defeat Syria. Um, so even, even in, in, in the Old Testament, um, God uses bad kings to accomplish good things. You understand that? God uses... Let me say that again. That sounded profound. God uses bad kings to accomplish good things. Now, you take that wherever you want. We need to remember that. Okay? And so God often will do that. He, Ahab is, is, Ahab, I think of Ahab as kind of one of those shyster guys. Okay? In fact, he tricks Jehoshaphat, who is the king in the south, who's a, who's a good king in the south. He actually tricks him and gets him to go into an agreement with him that Jehoshaphat shouldn't have done. But Ahab is, is, is slick that way. But Ahab, in all honesty, I don't think Ahab's got a backbone in his body. Really. Um, in fact, in the story, one of the stories of Ahab is that he came to a guy by the name of Naboth, and he said, hey, I want your vineyard. And Naboth said, no. And he went, okay. And his wife, who we'll talk about in a minute, came along and went, you're king. You want to take it, man. And she actually goes, has Naboth brought up on, char- on false charges and has him executed, then gives the, fee- gives the vineyard to, to, to Ahab and said, now it's not yours. Later, Later, God's judgment comes down big time on the family. Seventy of Ahab's family members die because of that. But in the story, what you need to understand is that Ahab was this bad king who, got, who, who really didn't have a backbone. And, okay, don't take this wrong, but he was henpecked. He let his wife call everything. He let his wife run the show. In a bad way. Because there is nothing in the Bible good about Jezebel, who's his wife. He marries Jezebel. Um, Okay, think of how many girls that you know are named Jezebel. Why? Why do you not know any girl named Jezebel? Because there's nothing good about Jezebel. It's like, you know, yeah, what'd you name your kid? Oh, Judas. Yeah, I I can't have, you know. Well, you know, we ran out. I mean, you know, we had James and we had Joshua and we had to have another J, Judas. That was it. Yeah, we got a kid named Judas. Uh, No. No. Why? Because we associate bad things with those names. Um, You know, there's certain names in history that, you know, really kind of tank it, you know. Um, uh, You know. Yeah, Benedict. Adolf. Um, you know, some names like that that kind of, yeah, not that great. Jezebel's one of those. Here's the deal with Jezebel. Jezebel was brought up worshiping Baal. She was not from Israel. Often what kings would do is they would marry people from other places in order to get a political alliance. Okay? Because here's the idea. Think about it for a minute. Let's say I'm the President of the United States and we're at war with Canada. And because we're really, like, really close neighbors, 
One of the ways that I can make sure that Canada and us don't go to war is I get with the, with the uh, what do they have up there? It's prime minister? I get with the prime minister of Canada, and he's got a daughter, and I have a son, and I say, hey, I'll tell you what, how about our kids get married? Well, now I'm not so anxious to attack a country where my, da- my in-laws are the president, you know, or my, my, my well, you know what I mean, where, where, where we're related like that. So that's what would happen. So he decides to marry Jezebel. Jezebel's a Baal worshiper. So here's what Jezebel does. She comes into Israel, into those ten tribes, and says, I don't think it's right that you guys are just worshiping this God Jehovah, or this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So she sets up Baal temple worship all throughout the land. She brings in 400 prophets of Baal. She feeds them. She takes care of them. She houses them. And then she goes on a hunt for any prophet of God and starts having them executed. It's into that scene that Elijah steps in. When you've got this king who's doing all this stuff because he's brought his wife in and his wife's doing all this stuff. And ultimately, he's going to look at her and he's going to... Not only does Elijah predict the death of Ahab, but he predicts the death of Jezebel. And one of the things that he says is, the dogs will lick up your blood. That's one of the things Elijah's going to tell her. Um, A guy who we're not going to talk about for a while, really, to the end of the story, is a guy by the name of Jehu. He comes in as a king after Ahab. There's a couple of kings in between him and, and Ahab. But Jehu is absolutely ruthless. When this guy comes in, I mean, he is bloodthirsty. Um, he executes all of, the, all of the, basically all the relatives of Ahab. Anybody who even had a chance at a throne, he goes in and executes them. He then goes through and starts killing the prophets of Judah. He goes through and kills the prophets of Baal. This guy just basically goes on a hunt for anyone that he can kill. Jezebel is dumb enough to taunt him. And so she paints her face, gets up in a tower, taunts him. He commands his servants to throw her down. They throw her out of the tower. He takes his chariot. He runs over her body until it's just a mangled mess on the, on the ground. Then he walks away. He decides that maybe he ought to bury her because at one time she was like the queen. He goes back to, he tells his servants to go back to get her body. When they go back to get her body, the only thing that's left is her skull, her hands, and her feet. Their blood is splattered everywhere, and the dogs have eaten her carcass. That is how her life ends. Um, And so you need to understand that it's kind of a gruesome story as you look at all those things. It's interesting, she's actually mentioned again in the book of Revelation. um, And not in a good way. So those are some of the characters of the story, all right? Into that scene walks a guy by the name of Elijah, who's the guy we're going to focus on. Um, Elijah is interesting. Um, He's the most talked about Old Testament character in the New Testament. He's mentioned 27 times. Um, He's mentioned um, as a forerunner of of Jesus. John the Baptist. Remember, they come to Jesus and they say, are you Elijah who's coming back? And he says, no, Elijah's already come. Talk about John the Baptist. Um, if you'll remember, on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus and the three disciples meet, who are the two Old Testament people who are there? Moses and Elijah. 
In the book of Revelation, when it talks about the end time and there's two people who come onto the scene, one of them turns water to blood, Moses. The other one prays that it does not rain, Elijah. So these guys are, Elijah's an important name that's going to come up quite a bit, it, not only in the future, but, but in, in this whole story. Um, when uh, James talks about him as a man of like passions, and we're going to see actually in a couple of weeks where his passion for doing what's right actually gets him in trouble. Um, what's interesting about this guy, we don't know anything about him. He just pops on the scene. And literally, when his life ends, he pops off the scene. Um, and, and we'll talk more about that. Um, he doesn't tolerate righteous, unrighteousness. This guy doesn't. This guy is. He stands up for that which is right. Um, he is an incredible prayer warrior, and he is an incredible teacher. <clears throat> Along the way, God gives him a young man who's going to follow him called Elisha, and he teaches Elisha everything that he needs to know. What's interesting is that when Elijah dies, his men, his student. Elijah, Elisha, asks a very, very a, a, a key question that really helps us understand Elijah as a teacher. He says this. He does not ask the question, where did Elisha go? He says, where is the God of Elijah? So in his ability to teach Elisha, he, he, he teaches by his life and by his message that it is not about me, it is about the God that I represent. And that, that's incredible for a guy to be able to give that and impart that to a student. So with all that background in mind, let's look at 1 Kings chapter 17. And uh, here we go. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbia in Gilead said to Ahab, The Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve. There will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And he goes. That's what's going to happen. He's going to walk into Ahab. As the Lord God liveth, there's not going to be any rain until I say so. Bye. He goes back to doing what he was doing. So it's important for us to understand. Elijah's like doing his thing, whatever his thing was. Shepherd, farmer, probably an agrarian culture. Gilead was, a, was an agrarian kind of culture. Probably doing like a farm thing kind of thing. He's doing his thing, and God comes to him, and he says, look, I want you to go talk to Ahab. So this country kid, country guy, older guy, country guy walks up to Ahab, the king, and says, Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives... So he says, um, Ahab, as my God lives, there's something you ought to know. Now, understand that Israel is, in a, is, in a, is torn right now between the God of Israel and the God of Baal. And there, so it's an issue of whose God's more powerful. And Baal was like a storm god kind of thing and a, and a, a crop god kind of thing. So, so it, was, it was like the struggle here. And he comes in and he says, it's not going to rain until I say so. He leaves. And then God, this is important, it says what? Then the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. So Elijah goes back to doing his thing. And he says here what? Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kerith Ravine east of the Jordan. You'll drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you food there. 
So he did what the Lord told him. He went to Kareth Ravine, east of Jordan. He stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. That's all we're going to look at this morning. But there's a ton of stuff in this verse. Yeah, the life you want. Yeah, right. Huh? Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so uh, go to that Go to that map thing. Okay, so let me show you this on map so you know what's going on. He talks to the king right here in Samaria. Okay, got that? So the king's, this is the capital of the northern kingdom. The capital of the southern kingdom is Jerusalem. So Samaria is right here. And he comes to the king. He tells him his little spiel. And then God comes to him and says, Go over here to a brook. And so this is where the brook is. So he goes to a little brook there. We'll talk about that in a second. And the next story, God's going to take him all the way up here. But for now, he's at the brook. And that's where we're going to leave it today. Um, so he goes to the brook. And notice what God says to him. God says, look, there ravens are going to take care of you. Okay? Um, so let's walk through this thing. Um, yeah, you can put that down. Um, let's walk through this for a minute. Let's understand a couple of things. First of all, we automatically see in the life of Elijah he wants to do what God wants him to do, right? God tells him, go to Ahab, he goes to Ahab. He goes back, he does his thing. And I think the passage is very, very important when it says God comes to him. This isn't some guy who's out there going, oh, I'm seeking God, I'm seeking God, 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 God. This is a guy who's just doing his thing and God comes to him. Listen to me. If you want to do what God wants you to do, I guarantee you, you will not miss it. This guy wants to please God, and so God comes to him, and think about it for a minute. What does God tell him to do? To go where? Okay, you guys got to help me here. If anybody ought to be tired, it ought to be me, all right? Help me here. What is he, first of all, what's he praying? What's his prayer? Let's put this all together in our heads so we understand this. What's his prayer? Huh? No rain. So he's getting up every day and saying, Dear God, don't let it rain today. Dear God, teach Israel that they've got to follow you. Dear God, don't let it rain today. God, don't let it rain today. And God comes to him and says, What? Go to a rook. Now, get this. He's going to cross the Jordan River to go to a brook and pray that it doesn't rain. So if you're sitting by a brook praying that it doesn't rain, what's going to happen to the brook? It's going to dry up. Does he have a big discussion with God about, look, God, you know, there's a well around the corner. There's a 7-Eleven well around the corner, and I can get there 24-7. No. Does he say, hey, God, look, how about if I camp out by the Jordan River? Because, like, it's a big place. And that'll dry up, like, last. No. What does he say? Okay. And then God says... Every day at this brook, I'm going to bring, I'm going to deliver you food. First carry out in the Bible, or delivery service in the Bible. 
And I'm going to bring it how? By ravens. As I, what I've been able to understand so far about ravens is ravens are, are they called? Is, okay, Abby can help me out. You're biology. You graduated in biology, right? An omnivore eats plants and animals? Oh, good, got it. Okay. An omnivore eats plants and animals. Here's what it means. A raven will eat just about anything. But you know what it prefers? You know what it's you know what's top of its delicacy list? Rotting flesh. It likes really dead stuff. Now let's think about this for a minute. If he is praying every day that it doesn't rain, what's going to happen to plant life? And if the plant life goes, what's going to happen to animal life? And every day he gets up and prays, Dear God, don't let it rain today. And every day he watches the brook do this. And the first week, he's eating hamburger and steak. And now he's eating possum and skunk. And all of a sudden, he's watching that brook every day dry up. And he doesn't say, okay, now, dear God, don't let it rain. How about letting it rain like right here? (laughs) Every day, he gets up in the morning and says, I wonder what I'm going to get today. And here it comes, makes a circle, bread, meat. That was a nice breakfast. I wonder what we're going to have tomorrow. Every night, here they come. Boom, boom. God, day by day by day, takes care of it. It's important that we understand that. The reason God's taking care of him is because he's being obedient to God. God's meeting his needs. God's every day bringing him exactly what he needs. He's not stockpiling it. Every day, that river is going down, that brook is going down and down and down and down and down. He's not fretting. He's not panicking. He's not worrying. He's just simply trusting God. And every day, God comes to him and is teaching him something at this brook. And here's what he's teaching him. You have to learn to depend on me. Most of you know the story of Elijah. And you know that in the story of Elijah, what, what's the big thing Elijah is known for? Mount Carmel, where it calls down fire from heaven. Here's what you need to understand. We have a Carmel, a Mount Carmel experience, because there was a Cherith experience. We have calling down, being able to call down fire from heaven and being totally dependent that God was going to answer your prayer because he sat alone by a brook Every day, watching the resources go down, but God still be faithful. You've got to get that. That is so important to understanding who Elijah is and what Elijah does. There are times, if you were Elijah, it would be very tough to every day get up and pray, God, don't bring rain, even though it's going to impact my life right now. Look, he's not there praying. Okay, God, I'm following you, so health, wealth, and prosperity to me. He's sitting there watching that brook dry up every day. And when we leave him today, guess where we're going to leave him? By a brook that's dried up. 
And then you'll see what God does next to his life. But what I want us to understand this morning is this idea that there is a caramel because there is a cherith. There is a time. There is a time. And by the way, God is incredibly active right now. Just because you can't see him at work, Elijah was fortunate. Elijah could see him work every morning, every night. And here's what I'd say to you. One of the principles of Scripture is this. God is always at work around you. The problem is we don't see it. The problem is we're too wrapped up in our world. The problem is we're too focused on our agenda and what our plan and the way we think it ought to go. We don't see God at work. But God is at work here. God is working out his plan right now in the life of Ahab, in the life of Israel, in the life of, uh, of, of Elijah. And the ravens are taking care of him every single day. And I often wonder, what was this guy thinking as he prayed and watched God continue to dry stuff? As you're sitting there and you watch the, the, the vegetation die, and you watch, okay, I know it was cold this morning, but do you remember this summer? Do you remember the fact that we probably only had to cut grass like once a month? Do you remember how disappointing it was to watch stuff that you had wanted to grow like it has every year, kind of not grow like that? How about if every day you got up and were praying for that? You know, I heard a lot of farmers, you know, pray for rain. We need rain. Pray for rain. We need rain. I didn't hear a lot of farmers going, okay, pray for the drought because God can teach us some stuff. This guy knew God had a purpose and God had a plan and God needed to accomplish something in this land and he knew that part of that meant it was going to take no rain and so he got up every day and prayed for it and he does that faithfully to God and God here uses this guy in some tremendous ways couple lessons and we're done here's first lesson during difficult times folks God is still at work see we get the idea in our world in our culture that God equals activity. I mean, I have friends who, all honesty, they're always, if you look at their history of going to church, here's what you'll find. In like 20 years, they've been to like 10 churches, 15 churches, sometimes. And if you ask them about what's going on in whatever church they're in, you know what you're going to find? It's always like a big thing. And then when that thing kind of starts to die off, they go to another church where there's a big thing. And so they try to live on this big thing kind of thing all the time. And what you've got to realize in life is life isn't like that. Church isn't like that. Ministry's not like that. It's this ebb and flow kind of thing. It's this thing where, where there are times where, where it's kind of like on the mountaintop and there's times that it's kind of like in a valley. And then there's a mountaintop and then there's a valley. And there's a mountaintop and there's a valley. And that's kind of the way life goes. We're going to see Elijah on the mountaintop. But right now we see him in a valley. And what you've got to understand is even in the valley, God's at work. Elijah was fortunate. He could see it right now. Every day when those ravens came in, he could see it. Like clockwork every day. Sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sometimes you look at it and say, God, where are you? God, I, I just don't see you at work. God, I can't see you. God, remember me? Yoo-hoo. Are you there? You know? And at times in your life, you're going to feel that way. And you know what? That's okay. As long as you understand he's still at work. He's still at work even during those times. And I would suggest to you, like we talked about in Sunday school this morning, I would suggest to you, 
that in those times of darkness, he is probably working the greatest. You think about it for a minute. What times in your life have you grown the most? What times in your life were the darkest? A lot of times, it's the same. And I look at my life as some of the darkest, most difficult times were also some of the times when God accomplished the most. Now, I'm not saying I want to sign up for it again. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it was fun. But I will say this. If it was the only way to get what came out of it, then okay. Because God could take any mess and make a masterpiece out of it. I mean, that's who he is. And so I, I just want to challenge you that right now, whatever you're going through, job, family, home, whatever you're struggling with right now, understand God's at work. He has not bailed on you. Second thing I would like you to remind you is this. God takes care of his family. Now, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like he had, it wasn't like every day Elijah could sit down with the birds and say, guys, look, I'm getting a little tired of steak. Can you bring me like some chicken tomorrow? And I'm not saying every day when God delivered something, it was what he wanted. Because I'm sure there was, there was skunk in there. I'm sure there were a couple of critters in there. It's like, (laughs) you know, I think I'll just wait for supper. I'm sure it wasn't exactly what he wanted. And by the way, can you imagine this? A bird that doesn't share dropping food off every day? Can you imagine a bird every day flying in and dropping off food? That's what was happening. Why? Because God takes care of him. And, and I think it's important for us to remember this. God takes care of you. Look, it may not be the, the, the way you had it figured out. God takes care of you. Well, I had this discussion this past week, you know. We were kind of going back over because, you know, my mom's at that age where, you know, concerned about the future, concerned about finances, concerned about this and this and this and, this and all those kind of things. And I sat down and we, and we were talking about it. I said, Mom, you know, I said, we've always watched God take care of us. We've always seen that. There are times it was tough, but we've always watched God take care of us. And we just kind of rehearsed some of the things that we've seen God do in our lives over the years. Uh, a month or so ago, my kids brought this up one night, uh, one day when we were eating, and they said, you know, they looked at us and, and, and they said, how did we make it? I said, I don't know. I don't know. God took care of it. Because you put it on paper, it don't work out. But It did. It did. I mean, you know, they asked me, they said, how in the world did you raise two kids and $150 a week and go to, they said, it doesn't work out. And I said, I don't know. God just did. God did. And I'll tell you something. If God's taking care of us that long, why is all of a sudden he's going to all of a sudden one day go, nah, I'm tired of this. He's got too much invested. You know how much it is when you invest in, in a person or a situation and you want to see them do well? And you, I mean, you'll go to all ends of the earth to try to, to, to see good come out of it. Same thing with God. God's not going to abandon you. Whatever you're going through right now, look, God will take care of you. But you've got to try. You can, when he says go to Cherith and sit and wait for the ravens, you can't say, no, nah, you know what? I'd rather go to Jordan and get takeout. You've got to do it God's way. You've got to do what God says, and God says, I will take care of you. And he does. He takes care of it. And here's the thing. Here's the other thing. The last thing that I see that, that amazes me is this. 
Elijah is content. Elijah is actually content. He's okay. He's okay sitting there going, all right, this is what God says. And what does he do? He sits there, and you're going to see us next week. He sits there until God comes to him again and says, okay, we're moving, to, we're moving today. He stays right there. He's content with what God has for him. Listen, one of the curses of being an American is we live in a world in which we are bombarded 24-7 that what we have is not enough. Every ad you hear on TV, every ad, every ad you see on TV, every ad you hear on the radio, every newspaper ad you pay, every billboard you pass by is, is a message that says, you need this. What you have is not enough. You need this. You've got to have this. Every catalog you get in the mail is a catalog that says, you need this. There are millions of dollars spent convincing you that you need stuff that you don't need. And you know what we do? We get it. Why? Because we need it. Why do we need it? Because somebody told me we needed it. Does it make sense to you? But I do it too. We all do it. And what happens is, we take a group of people, we go to a third world country, or we go somewhere on a mission trip, and the thing that amazes us is, these people are happy. And what? They don't have a flat screen? (laughs) Can you be happy and not have a flat screen TV? The only reason I'm saying that is because I had to watch my mom's tube thing this week. (laughs) I didn't think it was an issue until I watched it all week, and I'm like, man. Even my sister's going, we can't convince her to get a flat screen. I'm like, I know. Um, of course, you can't run the tube thing, so I don't know, you know. Um, but I mean, honestly, it's when I say, you see what I'm saying? And we're to that point that we're always, and so then we wonder why we don't have joy and we can't be content. Elijah is content every day to get up and say, God, don't let it rain today. Watch a brook dry up and watch birds drop off food. And he's okay. He's not out searching for places to live while the drought gets bad. He's just trusting God. And what God does next is unbelievable. Like I can't imagine a prophet doing, having to do this. But God says do it, and he does. And God takes care of him again. Look, I think something that we, and as we head in November, it's not a bad lesson for us, a reminder for us anyway. We've got an awful lot to be grateful for and very little to complain about. Maybe one of the reasons you haven't found joy and peace and contentment in life is because you can't be content. Because we always want more. That's not always a good thing. And I just want to challenge you this week because one of the things I see in this guy's life, I see this idea that he's willing to follow God, he's willing to do exactly what God says, he's willing to wait, he's willing to be content, he's willing to depend on God, and he's willing to let God work and use him. You know what God wants of you and I this week? Same things he wanted from Elijah. So I want to challenge you this week. Learn to be content with what you got. I'm not saying you don't try to be better. I'm not saying if the opportunity comes along, you don't better your life. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying don't spend your life pursuing that and missing out on all the things God's already given you. And for those of you who are struggling right now, you're all worried and you're all panicked because of finances or whatever it is, can I remind you, God takes care of us. But we've got to follow him.
and we've got to do what he asks us to do. We've got to trust him, and it'll be okay. I didn't say it would be easy. I said it'll be okay. And um, there's a lot to learn from this guy. And, but it all starts with being obedient to what God wants us to do. And we can all do more of that. So let's pray. Lord, help us, guide us, and direct us. Lord, it's easy in our lives to focus on stuff. It's easy, Lord, to think about the things that we don't have. It's easy, Lord, to not learn contentment. But, Lord, some of us really need to learn to be content, to take the things that you've given us and be thankful and grateful for them. Lord, may all of us come to recognize and understand that you do take care of us. That, Lord, if you can feed a guy with a bunch of birds, you can take care of us. Lord, if you can take and clothe the grass of the field, Lord, if you can take care of the birds and knowing when to fly south and when to stay here and where to find food, and Lord, that not one of them hits the ground that you don't know about, God, Help us to understand and embrace the idea that you know what's going on in our lives. You do care and you are at work. God, we've got to learn to trust you. And we've got to learn that even when we don't see you, Lord, you're still at work. So help us to strengthen our faith that way this week. Lord, may the world, as they see us, see someone who has and follows a certain God in a very uncertain world. And use us. May they see Christ in us this week. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together and let's sing the first.